Hello, and you're listening to Let's Drone Out. And special thank you to our lovely patrons that help donate so that we can pay the editor to remove the swear words and silly things we say. Massive thank you to... Carlos Campos. Art Faulkner. Sam Dharma. On with the show. Let's Drone Out. Hello, and welcome to Let's Drone Out with our special guest, Mustard Tiger. Tonight, we're going to be talking about formation flight. Uh, but before all that, we are joined by uh, Commander-in-Chief Frank. Good evening. Hello. Everyone's favorite, Curry Kitten. Hello. And our special guest, that way, Mustard Tiger. Hello. Um, also, myself, Stephen Belrick. Um bringing you a very interesting project this evening, Formation Flight. So could you give us the rundown on Formation Flight? Um, maybe the the where and the why, and just kind of explain how you came about the, the idea and what you wanted to do with it? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so Formation Flight, uh, the kind of headline description, what it is, uh, it's open source inter-UAS positioning and telemetry for FPV. Um, it's a whole lot of words. If you've heard previously of the uh, project, which went by a few names, INAV Radar, ESP32 INAV Radar, um, some variation of that. There were a couple of, uh, of authors of that, Olivier C being one of the main ones. Um, this is sort of the spiritual successor to that project. Um, so the, the general goal of this is if you're flying as a group, if you're flying with um, anything you want to keep track of the position of, um, you have a small beacon device, which goes in every aircraft uh, and shares position with other aircraft that are flying nearby you. Um, the reason uh, sort of I came to uh, developing this in any way, um, I always wanted to use INAV radar. Um, I do a lot of formation flying with with some friends locally out here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and it's it's really easy to lose each other when you're doing formation flights, especially analog, especially you know any degree of long range, it's it's easy to lose each other. Um, and when you do lose each other and you've got, you know, the perfect sunset, the perfect spot, everything is perfect, but you can't find each other to get that nice formation flight shot. That's frustrating. Um, so I looked into INAV radar. Uh, I had some of the hardware for it, some of the dev boards, but they seemed pretty heavy. And I'm also an Ardu pilot user for my fixed wing stuff. So that was, that was out the window for me uh, off the hop. The first thing I did uh, was made some light changes to the original INAV radar project so that it would function on uh, Express LRS 900 megahertz hardware. Um, that is significantly smaller, lighter, cheaper, um, and I already had it lying around, so that was perfect. Uh, the next thing I did was ported the uh, OSD part from INAV into ArduPilot um, so that I could use it with my ArduPilot aircraft and then flew a couple of test flights with it. It worked great. Um, and I decided... Uh, you know, there's a few little tweaks I'd like to make to this, and maybe I can maybe I can upstream it into INAV radar. And as I started making more and more and more and more changes, it just kind of grew and grew and grew and grew. And eventually, um, I took a look at the code, and it's it's like less than two percent 
uh, of INAV Radar's original code still lives on, and most of it is vestigial, and I should probably clean it out. Uh, so at this point, I uh, I broke off the the fork on GitHub, called it its own project, um, and now there's there's two distinct projects. If you still want to run the run the original INAV Radar, it still exists. Um, but Formation Flight is the spiritual successor, does all the same things, um, and hopefully does them cheaper, smaller, faster, all the nice things that that I would hope to achieve. So is that the difference then between Formation Flight and INAV Radar? Is is the hardware that it needs to work? Yeah, so hard, hardware is the is the initial thing, right? Um, INAV Radar runs on these sort of ESP32 LoRa dev boards you can get your hands on. They're about $30, $45, US dollars, uh, somewhere in that range from AliExpress and the like. Um, they weigh a good bit. Um, they can be 50, 60 grams, um, and they're, they're pretty large. They have built-in OLEDs, uh, all sorts of things that, eh, frankly, aren't, aren't really necessary for the project. Um, so the, yeah, the first thing I did with, with Formation Flight was to uh, add additional hardware, a significant amount. I then went on and uh, in the process of all the many rewrites, I added support for the 2.4 gigahertz band, which means you can use the very small 2.4 gigahertz Express LRS receivers. Um, and then sort of the main changes, the main reasons why somebody who currently uses INAV radar might want to move to Formation Flight. Um, it updates 10 times as fast. It supports six people in the air instead of four. Um, it can use 2.4 gig, 900, and 433, uh, as well as 868, of course. Um, it has a very nice web UI for configuration and uh, display of information um, as compared to the Bluetooth serial console that the original mm -hmm. INAV radar used. Um, altogether, my goal with it was, as I said before, cheaper, better, faster. Um, all around, it should be something now, you know, you can install it in sub 250 uh, G aircraft very easily. Um, because it updates faster, the, the tracking is much tighter. It's much easier to find people, all that. Mm. That's a lot of features. It, so, it, yeah. So I saw when I had a quick look through the website that um, you, it already works with iNav and ArduPilot, and you've written your own fork for Betaflight until that's in the code. Have we got some screenshots of exactly what you would see as a pilot? Obviously, you've got your OSD, and basically you've got, if I saw it right, you've got like a little thing saying sort of pilot B is this direction or does it give like height or uh, distance or what, what does it give? Yeah, so I'm sending some links. Um, those are some links that describe it well. Uh, to be clear, the Ardu pilot changes are not yet upstreamed. I've been, uh, I've been maintaining my own fork. Um, I just want to make sure it is very, very, very safe before I consider upstreaming it. I've been flying it for a couple months now, though, and it's been absolutely rock solid. So that's, uh, I think we're at a good state where I should probably move to get it merged upstream. Um, as to the the OSD implementation, uh, you might notice the INAV one is is pretty, in my opinion, complicated. Um, it's trying to be a HUD, which I think is a really really cool idea. Um, but and of course, you know, opinions are everybody everybody's own, right? And my opinion is that the HUD idea for a character-based OSD just doesn't, doesn't really work for me. Um, it jumps all over the place. It never quite shows you where the person actually is. Um, sometimes it covers them up while you're trying to follow them. Um, so when I ported this to ArduPilot, I chose to take a, a simpler approach, which looks a bit like a home arrow with a uh, altitude component as well. I've got uh, this Ooh. second link I sent you. Uh, if you scroll down to the bottom there, I've got a, a screenshot from Analog DVR. 
Was that the Walksnail example? The the non-Walksnail one, no. The uh, So the Walksnail example, the one you're looking at right now, this is from built into iNav, um, where you can see that sort of B element moving all over the screen. And then, yeah, this is the way I implemented it. Um, just above the wind speed in the bottom left, where you can see the, the letter C and an arrow and 1,500 meters, um, that's saying back... Uh, at relative to the direction the aircraft is flying, 1,500 meters and down 124. Um, this was a, a beacon not connected to an actual aircraft, which uh, I'm not sure if we want to jump into that yet next, or if you have an agenda, let's we can stick with that. Uh, no, by all no, means. I'm just interested to see how it looks, because obviously, yeah, I, I take your point. If you've got like a, a pixel-based OSD, then that sort of nice yeah. smooth thing on a radar screen will work very well. But when you haven't, I think it's, as you said, it's much more sensible to have like just just a fixed thing to say the C is this way and it's here's the altitude and here's how far he's away. I think that works. Exactly, better. yeah. And that's that's what's worked tremendously well for me. We're all used to flying towards a home arrow if we need it. So uh, this is this is the same kind of thing. Um, so as I, I mentioned just a moment ago, this is a, a beacon not necessarily connected to an aircraft. Um, mm. This is one of the other things I wanted to support with formation flight uh, versus INAP radar. Um, INAV radar requires being connected to an MSP-capable flight controller to establish its position and everything. With Formation Flight, I implemented built-in GPS capabilities so that if your Formation Flight radio has its own GPS, it can be a beacon on its own. Uh, that might seem silly. Why would you want that? Well, a couple of things. Um, one, if you're doing cinematic work and trying to, say, follow somebody, follow a car, follow a... You get Ooh, the idea? Yeah. You stick these beacons in the car, you stick these beacons in whatever you want, and now you've got a real-time lock on exactly where they are. Uh, this allows you to do some really cool stuff. Everybody loves the cinematic shot where the drone rises over a, a visual obstacle, right? And as they rise over the obstacle, the thing they're supposed to be looking at is in shot. Normally, that's hard to time. That's hard to figure out, right? you got to know where everybody is. you got to be on radios. Now you've got an arrow pointing to exactly where that thing is you're supposed to be following. It makes it much easier to uh, sort of hit that target. I guess you, you can, can also do it with multiple participants as well. That way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it'll this will work with up to six people in the air at a time. Um, so you and you and five of your best friends can all have this positioning uh, up and running. Mm, that does sound interesting. And I mean, you you're <laughs> saying as well that sort of the big feature of this is that it uses very cheap hardware, and I saw it as using. Uh, you know, the one I was looking at was using the the EP one, so it's, it's like a for in the UK that's like ten pounds for an ELRS receiver. Like you don't have to be using ELRS, obviously. You can just have this being just the formation flight radio, and then can, can you is is that what you're then just wiring into a GPS uh, receiver? Yeah, so it's uh, it gets wired directly to an MSP speaking UART on your flight controller. Um, so just the same ways you would wire in, say, a DJI air unit or uh, walk snail unit, anything like that. Um, same exact configuration, just turn on the MSP flag, and that's that's what it takes. Um, I've got specific instructions uh, on the formationflight.org website for how to set up each flight controller, but uh, not to get too far down that road. Yeah, so it's <laughs> uh, it's not specific to Express LRS at all. Um, you can use this with, uh, you know, Dragonlink, Crossfire, Tracer, ELRS, whatever you might choose to use. Um, ELRS just happens to be a really good way to get uh, affordable hardware, uh, easy to find hardware, and lightweight yeah. hardware. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, if, if we're saying that you know, for for twenty pounds, me and a mate could have these radios connected and 
in, you know, be seeing each other on our OSDs. That's that's pretty impressive. Absolutely, uh, yeah. And versus the the hardware that would otherwise be required to run iNav radar, mm. looks like around thirty one US dollars right now. So it's uh, and that's per airframe. So that's yeah, doubling that just to have the first dot on your on your screen. Yep, um, all so with yeah. smaller antennas, faster updates. Yeah, it's uh, it's a hopefully a pretty compelling argument to be made. So Absolutely. If someone's beginning, um, I looked at the flashing side. That the flashing's a little bit more involved than Express LRS, right? You need to use the kind of ESP programming tools, developer tools. You got a couple options. Um, for now, I haven't built my own configurator or anything. Uh, right now, the project is pretty much me and uh, a couple of other folks who have made some contributions. Thank you very much, by the way. Uh, but to that end, you know, Express LRS has uh, almost a dozen regular devs. I'm 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 soloing this, so yeah, no configurator, nothing fancy. Uh, the plus side is the binary packages we create uh, in our build system, which includes automated builds every time I, I issue an actual release, right? Um, can be web flashed to an ELRS receiver. Um, so if you have a, a brand new ELRS receiver out of the package, you can boot it up, hop onto its Wi-Fi, upload formation flight, and now it runs formation flight. Oh, that's really nice. Okay. Yeah, so that's nice and cool. slick in that way. And the, the subsequent updates are done over its own web interface as well? Yep, that's correct. All over the air, updatable and everything. Wow. Suddenly, the existence of cheap Wi-Fi chips has made a lot of the configuration hassle evaporate. We, we often reminisce about old times on this show and VTXs, which had dip switches and the like, and it seems like a different world compared to that. That's really impressive to be able to do that on 11 mils by 11 mil, 100 grams worth of hardware. Exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really impressive what the ESP chips have allowed us to do. Um, and especially, you know, keeping up with with the the timing of all six, and uh, the ESP just just keeps on doing it. It's it's happy to do it. I think we can definitely all think back to a time where this would have been handy, where we've been you know, flying around mm. as a group, and like you say, particularly particularly on the analog stuff, but even with digital, uh, finding people in the air. I mean, even even with a fairly large model to chase. It can be tricky sometimes. You know, if you've it got a fairly dark model against the grounds, like you get the, fifty yards away, and all bets are mm. off unless you've got perfect video, right? Yeah, mm, for people who haven't tried it before, it is really difficult, and getting the hang of it is is a real skill. And um, so we've done things in the past, like we'll we'll do sort of a lap, so we we all going around a lap, and we can kind of get each other. But um, if you're on sort of a further out and you're trying to do some sort of epic chase from a distance and you lose somebody, it's like, where are you? I'm, I'm over the trees. Yeah, there's trees everywhere. Whereabouts over the trees? By the field. Yeah, that's still like <laughs> vague. It just goes on and on. Yeah, having that sort of thing is really handy. And being able to just, even if you can't see them and you're starting to draw towards them, if you can just see how far you're away, then you can manage your speed. Because what can often happen is like, I see you. Whoosh. <laughs> as you yeah. go soaring by and you're because you've got the speed you to catch up yeah. with them yeah yeah oh my apologies i dropped the uh screenshot into uh the formation flight discord my apologies oh well i'm here may as well shout that out hey there's a formation flight discord um the link is in the description of of this live stream uh if you want to mm -hmm. jump into it that is how i got into it so yeah <laughs> there you go if you need any it help works. setting it up if you uh, if you have any questions i'm i'm there pretty often uh 
and there's a, a nice community of lovely folks who'd be happy to answer your questions. So this, uh, is, images, this is what images. you see off of your tiny little ELRS receiver. Yeah, the image looks wow. like it's getting cut off just a little bit. Um, oh. There's a little bit more on the right side. I'm not sure if... Let me uh, try and just zoom. I had it zoomed in. Let's unzoom. Uh, there we are. Okay. Yeah, for everyone listening along, this is a... I mean, if you if you saw this just in a normal website, you wouldn't think any, anything of it. I mean, it looks... It's a very nicely polished dashboard of all the devices. It looks very nice. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm not a front-end web designer. I... Uh, I put on my front-end web designer hat and slapped this together in a day, and I think it turned out all right for, Yay, for all things track. considered. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's um, oh gosh, what is it? Tailwind is the is the framework I used. That looks cool. Uh, so, so for in terms our of audio listeners, we've got um, a very cleanly designed web page with a dashboard and an update section. We've got some uh, readings from the flight controller to tell us whether one is attached or otherwise. We've got the GPS status. We've got a list of peers. Uh, and whether encryption's enabled or not, which is an interesting feature. More on that later, I guess. Uh, and then we can see a list of peers, and we can see a list of radios. So you can see at a glance, am I actually going to pick up any peers? Let's check on the ground. Let's make sure we can all see each other before we go and, and lift off and start flying on this system. So that's that's kind of neat. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I can talk through a few things uh, in this display as well. Um, up in the left, top left corner, you can see what flight controller it thinks it's connected to. Um, it supports, as I've mentioned, iNav, ArduPilot, and then, uh, oh, I guess we we accidentally rabbit trailed a little bit off of this. There is a beta flight fork that I have put together. Um, it is more ugly than the ArduPilot fork. I would not recommend flying it. Um, I have tested it for a grand total of about five minutes, but it it does appear to work. It does the thing. It renders the thing on screen, uh, which would be quite nice for, for folks who do run Could a flight. we persuade you to do a PR? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to, I'd be happy to PR this. I think uh, the 4.5 cycles just going through RC now, but uh, 4.6 wide open for PRs and a good time to start discussing the best way to do this. Sounds lovely. There's a couple of, uh, of changes I want to incorporate from the ArduPilot version I wrote into the, into the beta flight fork. Um, so I'll, I'll get that going. Uh, of course, there's, as I mentioned, there's a lot to do, uh, and I'm, I'm one man, so I'm doing sure. my best. Well, um, yeah, you've probably got a, judging by the time between four, four and uh, four, five release candidates. I don't think there's a hurry on that one. Gotcha. Yeah, there you go. Um, other things I mentioned that you can use an internal GPS, but by default formation flight will just pull GPS from your flight controller. So no need to do anything crazy there. All you got to do is hook it up to an MSP UART. Um, and it will it will negotiate with your flight controller, figure out GPS location, all of that. Uh, the encryption is is an interesting note, as you mentioned. More on that later. Um, INAV radar is unencrypted, uh, which is you know fine for what it's intending to be. Uh, my reason for adding encryption is is not necessarily for privacy first and foremost. Um, the goal of it is to essentially um, prevent people from cross talking, right? Be able to use different groups, um, and if we can. If we can get some very light crypto in there, uh, as a matter of course, that might be nice. One thing to note, or I suppose a few things to note, the crypto is not super duper secure. Um, it will not stand up against an actual uh, dedicated attacker. It's good enough. Um, it, again, it's intended primarily to be a uh, intergroup uh, right. deterrence, effectively. So, right? so instead of having to set a group ID and, and tally that up across all the members who are flying in a field, say, 
you, you enable crypto and when you see each other, you negotiate a crypto key. And then if another group of flyers a few miles away happen to like start spewing signal and you can hit and, and you can see them, then that's going to be discarded and, and not start confusing you when you're in the air. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's the main goal. Um, if you do want to rotate this key, it's a little complicated now. Again, that's that's one of the things on the on the back burner to clean up. Um, but yeah, this this does exist, uh, and it hopefully should provide you know the bare minimum of of uh, additional privacy as well. If you're interested in that, caveat: um, if you're using ham frequencies to run this, if you're using ham power levels, blah blah blah, blah it might not be compliant. Figured I'd throw that out there. Uh, everybody who who does this hobby, you know should hopefully have a good understanding of radio stuff, what is and isn't right to do. So uh, your your uh, experience may vary, do the right thing for for your regulatory environment, et cetera, et cetera. So say you've got a group of people and, and you want to say, look, these are the pilots in the group. And if someone, a couple of fields over with a big antenna starts flying with formation flight, we, we don't want to see their data. Where, how do people lock that in before they take off? It's presently done during build time. Um, I, my intention is uh, right. You can see on the left side, there's dashboard and update. Um, I have something turned off in the UI right now, which is a settings tab. Um, my hope is to have a whole bunch of settings you can flip on and off from there. One of which being change the group key uh, from that settings display if you want to. Right. And that would get saved to persistent storage. So you don't need to do it every time, just once. So you just uh, send the group key to your friends via whatever chat client and then when they connect to the web page, they synchronize the group key to the one you're using for that flying session, right? Exactly. And the group key is is uh, plain alphanumeric, so you can use you know whatever word you want. Um, by default, encryption is enabled with the group key Open Sesame. Um, that way, it's just you know it's encrypted by default. But like by default, you'll also connect to one another, right? Okay, makes sense. Wow, there's there's a lot going on here. Congratulations! I, I appreciate you know a single developer working in their spare time. You've you've accomplished a heck of a lot considering the you know INAV radar's been around for a few years and just kind of been ticking along. This is kind of an explosive amount of activity. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It was something of a passion project. Um, after I got it working uh, in the in the first couple of changes I made, it just went on from there. And I have to say a huge thank you to the folks who've been. Uh, who've been helping me out in testing, helping me out in development. Not sure how many of them uh, want their names shouted out, but uh, you know, <laughs> there are some there are some great folks out there who've been helping a lot. So thank you very very much. I guess that's mainly in the Discord again, is it? Yeah. Uh, so there's there's some folks in the Discord who have been uh, helping out with testing, helping out with development. Um, they're they're lovely folks. I've got a I've got a little um, label for them. They're they're colored blue in there. People who have been running it, you know, since the early days, beta testing willing to test all the all the silly broken things that occur with an early project like this. Um, so I really appreciate all their help, um, as well as some folks locally here in the Pacific Northwest who've been flying with me since uh, the very early fork of INAV radar days. Yeah. And you were, you were saying as well about the, the just sort of hopping back, there's the, the idea of the beacon where you've got just, in, <clears throat> just the, the formation flight radio connected direct to a GPS. Yeah. Um, how, how's that working? I guess, cause you've got the, the UART on the radio, it can just yeah. connect to a UART on a, on a GPS and that just works. Yeah. So there's, there's a piece of hardware I would recommend for this. You can build it yourself. Um, it, it's a little bit complicated. Um, it's not terrible, but just uh, there's already an existing piece of hardware and that's the, the Lilygo TTGO, uh, T beam, 
That's uh, Tango, Bravo, Echo, Alpha, Mike. Um, that's a product that uh, has an inbuilt um, 900 megahertz, unfortunately, lower modem um, with GPS and, uh, and an 18650. Mm. So if you are using 900 megahertz uh, formation flight, this is a great, great radio to use as a beacon. Built-in antenna, built-in GPS. Um, there's a, a target for it. You build it, throw it wherever it needs to be, and it'll it'll just work. Are um, you doing NMEA GPS? Yeah, yeah. Right now it is NMEA only. Um, I do want to support the Ublocks protocol, but uh, once again, PRs are accepted if you're interested in that feature. Well, it looks like a lot of those NMEA GPS might be uh, less useful in other locations. So, uh yeah, could be a good chance to take them out and repurpose them for formation flight. Absolutely, yeah. And it'll so, it'll do Autobot and everything. So as long as the GPS speaks NMEA and it's connected to a secondary UART, uh, the SP32 has three UARTs. Yeah, that'll that'll just work. I was just going to ask, if you're flying with multiple pilots, um, is it a case of you configure it so you've got like multi, like I've got pilot A, pilot B, pilot C, here, 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 or have you built in some sort of thing so you can switch between positions of people or yeah yeah that's a lovely question so the the inav existing osd the one that i i haven't made any changes to um, tries to do the hud thing so every pilot that's up you'll see their tile exist in the hud essentially um, for the one that i created which is more like a home position arrow every i believe two seconds it'll rotate through every active peer um, so mm -hmm. if you can hear two people it'll go back and forth every two seconds which uh, to me, it's it, that's that's probably good enough. Hmm. If anybody else has a better idea on how to incorporate that, I'd I'd be happy to hear it. Well, with ever higher resolution displays for some of the digital systems, it, it might be feasible to even have all six permanently on screen just as a, a single element. Absolutely, yeah. Hmm. I know are, are the uh, digital systems actually pixel capable. I mean, they're they're obviously working in character mode at the moment, but yes, is there is there a possibility? of them doing something different. There. So the, the MSP link between the flight controller and the goggles is, is character-based, but on the goggles, they can pretty much just render PNGs onto the goggles. So you can kind of do whatever you want on the goggles, but you've got that limited bandwidth between the flight controller and that over-the-air link over to the goggles, which kind of chokes the possibility of doing that in a really elegant fashion, unfortunately. Mm. And as, uh, as Dominic Clifton has mentioned in the comments, he's got a, a pixel-based OSD uh, that works with all his stuff. And yeah, that would be very, very, very slick. Um, if you know your camera FOV and can account for that in a pixel-based OSD with, with very high resolution, yeah, you could do some, you know, think, think oh, fighter jet style. Yeah. Yeah, that would be real slick. You've got, you've got two factors to, to make that moving OSD with the position markers move. You've got to figure out your FPV camera angle and also the, the FOV angle. And if those numbers are off, it's going to be kind of confusing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is an existing problem as well with the INAV implementation as it stands. And one of the things that when I ported it to RDPilot, I, uh, I decided to go a different direction. Again, it's my opinion. I, I like the simplicity of a, a single, well, a pair of vectors, right? A, a horizontal vector and a vertical vector. Um, if other folks like OSD more, I'd, I'd be happy to happy to hear it. Happy to, you know, however you want to make it work on the flight controller, we'll work with formation flight. It doesn't care. All it does is feeds the position information. So, um, if you'd prefer the OSD, that's that's something you absolutely have the option to do. Yeah, we are. So there's an update from uh, INAV here, by the looks of it. Uh, 
mark with the CFPV. A mustard tiger, the HUD elements will be adjustable and split in separate elements with 7.0 probably. So you can select if you want to see heading, distance, RSSI, etc. So that could be interesting. Neat. Yeah, that that definitely clean up the UI on iNav. Um, cool. Yeah, I think uh, Mark's from the iNav fixed wing group. I uh, encourage you to have a look at formationflight.org um, see what's going on there because there's uh, a really interesting development that kind of enables that feature for a bunch of different people and makes it easier to use much cheaper hardware. It's the the short premise of this, in case any other people have jumped in halfway through. I did uh, spam the chat link around quite a few places, but it's, it's easy to forget about these things. So yeah, the, the real gotcha here was previously you, you needed to basically be an ESP32 developer to get this thing up and running. But now we're seeing you can take very cheap hardware that's been designed for Express LRS and is now available not just cheaply, but also worldwide. So you don't need to go to stores on AliExpress and hunt this stuff down. So you can go to your local RC store and you can get 10 pounds, 10 of your local currency units generally worth of Express LRS 2.4 gig receiver, which is tiny and light. And you can program this using the existing Express LRS web flashing system, which is easy to use and functions as an access point already. So you could even do it from a mobile phone and things like that. And then all the configuration is going to be handled within that web interface. So you don't need to go and get complex tools on your PC to, to make this work, which I think it tackles the cost, it tackles availability, and it tackles ease of use all in one fell swoop, which is just fantastic to see. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, that, that was sort of my goal with it, make it a little bit easier to use and hopefully get more folks using it, right? INAV Radar was tremendous, and I, I can't say thank you enough to all the folks who did work on that, especially Olivia C, who's been uh, doing the main development on it recently. Um, at this point, I, I just wanted to take it, you know, a few steps further uh, and hopefully get get more folks using it. Right. And I thought getting that barrier of less expensive, more easily available hardware is, is a huge difference. And yeah, Mark, uh, to answer your your comment there, no, you don't need to use Express LRS. Um, it's just the hardware is, is cheap and available. So I wrote Formation Flight primarily to target Express LRS hardware. It does work with pretty much any ESP uh, variant. And uh, if nobody else has anything, I, I figure um insipid monkey asked a question about the uh, esp now functionality you mind if i jump into that oh absolutely i was going to mention that myself sweet yeah so esp now is a really neat thing uh that's supported by esp8266 and esp32 uh, microcontrollers they of course have the built-in wi-fi they also have the ability to do something called uh esp now which is effectively a um uh I think the kindest term I can use is a bastardization of Wi-Fi frames um, in order to remove a lot of the infrastructure around Wi-Fi, right? That is to say, um, there's no like a network name or anything like that. It works essentially as a broadcast mechanism. Um, so that's one of the additional radio types I implemented for formation flight. The goal being primarily you would use LoRa um, on whatever frequency you chose. Uh, 2.4 is, of course, my recommendation. It gets just about 10K worth of range, which hopefully should be more and more, more than enough for uh, the vast majority of use cases. If you really want more, there's 9433, which are right around 100Ks. Um, but for most folks, 2.4 LoRa is going to be the way to do it. Primarily, what my goal with ESP now is two things. A, for folks who don't want to do uh, LoRa-based stuff, ESP now works up to about 1K. 
Um, and it's very easy and cheap to find uh, ESP chips on their own. They cost right around 2 or $3 uh, US if you find them in the right places. Again, the, the range is going to be significantly less. It's about 1 to 2K max, um, but they're, they work just the same as the lower versions. My other goal with ESP now, and this is not realized yet, is to have a secondary link in addition to your LoRa link, such that uh, if you fly 2.4 LoRa uh, formation flight and your friend flies 900 LoRa formation flight, you'll still be able to connect to each other so long as you're within 1 to 2Ks. And then uh, if you were further away, then LoRa would work. Nice. That, that sounds like the best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah I'm excited about the, the potential that has. Um, you can turn it on right now, but it does horrible things to your timing. Um, they all try and all the receivers try and synchronize with one another. And when you have two radios operational, um, they can they can get into some really interesting states when you start doing that. This episode was recorded in front of a live online audience, downloaded and edited to make sense when it's played audio only, censored to please the iTunes people, hosted on the internet, forwarded through to your podcast provider, downloaded, playing on your device, and is now playing in your ears. All thanks to our Patreons. Consider joining them and you'll also get other online benefits. Find out more at patreon.com forward slash let's drone out. So we have a question from uh, Dominic Clifton Hydra about the uh, ESP hardware that you've been using. Yeah. Wondering if you've looked at the new S3 chip from ESP32. Absolutely, yes. And I've got one on my desk right here, which is the uh, Lilygo T3 S3. Um, and I've got Formation Flight up and running on that. Unfortunately, I think this is missing one pin to make it usable by default, but I think I'll be able to bodge it in. Mm -hmm. uh, this this particular piece of hardware, it's a pretty big one. It's a dev board. Uh, but yes, absolutely. If you've got it running on S3 and you've got a, um, in this case, I believe they forgot to connect the DIO one line, whatever you want to call that. Um, I use both of the DIO pins in my uh, interaction with the SX1280. Um, so I, I believe this board will require a bodge to work, but if your board has uh, both of the DIO pins connected, which I assume it does, then yes, absolutely, you could you could run Formation Flight directly on there. Excellent. Well, just compatible with everything you can get your hands on by the sound of it, which is fantastic. So I think all, all the fixed-wing people out there who are talking about Formation Flying, if you have GPS, this is, this is just the way to go, isn't it? And I think one to two kilometers on ESP now is like, if you want more, then you may be some way off flying in formation. Normally yeah. you're missing each other by sort of 50 <laughs> meters. Not like, oh, I'm 10 kilometers that way. It's like you've gone the wrong way. People were flying, flying on a couple of years ago, like one and a half kilometers away, your main radio link would be dead anyway. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So we, we've had really good experience with ESP now, as long as you have an external antenna. Um, if you have an internal antenna, it's it's not great. It's around 100 meters. Um, but yeah, it absolutely does work. Um, it works surprisingly well. I think we've gotten far more range out of it than any of us expected. Um, right about, I think, 1.8 Ks is the absolute max we've seen in practice. But that's, that's about uh, 1K more than I expected it to do in its absolute best case. So yeah, it is absolutely an option if you want it. I think 2.4 LoRa is where the... Uh, the main majority of development is going to be but yeah if you uh if you have you know a bare esp32 or an 8266 dev board wemos d1 mini whatever you might have um you can absolutely slap that on there and run it on esp now works great nice that's kind of the fascinating use case as well of people who you know they're flying a wing they don't have a flight controller in it 
they could take a little Express LRS receiver or someone could give them a little Express LRS receiver with the GPS connected to it and be like, yeah, here you are. There's like a servo lead attached to it. Power this up and stick it with some hot glue inside inside your wing and, and we'll know where you are and we'll come find you. Exactly. That yeah. does sound good. Yeah, I was just <laughs> going to say, is, is that a way of like you've got an inexpensive uh, rescue solution? Like I've crashed my plane somewhere if the battery's still in place and you've still got this signal, you can presumably find it because you'll know your, your distance and your GPS coordinates and you can trundle yeah. along into the field and get it. Yeah, so this is something we've actually discussed a few times, uh, using formation flight to be able to find your aircraft, absolutely. Um, you can do that right now. It works just fine for that. I've, I've done that a few times, actually. Um, I had some relatively small aircraft go out uh, pretty far out in a field and, and had to go hunt for it. Um, and I just brought along that little uh, TTGO T-beam. And when I got within about 500 meters, that was ESP now on the ground. So I expected the range to be reduced. It was still pretty darn good. Um, it locked on and I've got on the little OLED display that I'm X meters away in this direction and I was able to walk right to it. Um, I do have some ideas around uh, including boards with internal internal batteries and being able to say, hey, the last MSP message I got from the aircraft was that it was armed, and then I lost the MSP link. That tells me the aircraft is is downed, uh, unavailable in some way, shape, or form. Um, so stop trying to be a normal formation flight receiver and start doing um, different LoRa encoding in order to get longer range. Um, mm-hmm. That way, you know, hopefully, it would be a little bit a little bit better to find. I look forward cool. to seeing Curry's videos on this, adding on to his playlist of various ways of finding your crashed aircraft. <laughs> yeah, feel free, when, to, when, feel free to chat when with me. When beepers don't work because it's yeah. kilometers away, then yeah, try well, radio. Maybe we might see these integrated with lost model alarms because these are not high power devices. Mm. Would it be That'd possible be a great to idea. integrate with a lost model alarm with a beeper, a battery back beeper? Absolutely, yeah. Just uh, an ESP chip and a, a, a nice little antenna on it would be perfect. Um, so a few questions in the comments, uh, Mark, Mark with a C asks, I have three planes with the original TTGO LoRa hardware. Um, yes, it does work with the original TTGO LoRa hardware. There are targets for all of that. Um, you can, you can flash that it's drop-in compatible. Um, unless you're using the V 1.6 board, I changed which pins are, are used for RX and TX. You got to just move those over real quick. Other than that though, completely drop-in compatible. You can use exactly the same way as you have been with INF radar. Um, it's just faster better and then uh insipid Monkey asks have you touched on using uh, formation flight and elrs on the same band on the same aircraft i was very pleasantly surprised with how well this went um i expected <laughs> it to work but i expected there to be a noticeable hit to lq uh i was wrong it it works way better than i had ever possibly anticipated um i keep the power pretty low information flight just to be sure but um i did a pretty considerably uh lr flight at 25 milliwatts tx power for express lrs um a couple weeks later when i was reviewing that aircraft that i did it with i realized that it had formation flight up and running the whole time and i i didn't even notice um, that was with the LRS at, at minimum power for the, the radio that I use, um, out quite some distance. So it, it, it seems to be completely unnoticeable, which is, you, is great to hear. You were saying you don't cover 
all of the band that ELRS uses, right? You're just in the lower part of that band. You're kind of restricted it a bit. Yeah, that's exactly correct. So I, I chose with Formation Flight to not do frequency hopping. Um, and the goal there was was couplefold. A, hopefully it'll uh, simplify the sync procedure. Um, right now, you know, something like ELRS, you only have two things to try and synchronize with one another, a transmitter and a receiver, and one is always in charge. With Formation Flight, eh, who's in charge? Who's synchronizing <laughs> with whom? So it's a, it's a much tougher problem to solve. And when you add more variables like frequency and time slot and all this kind of stuff, synchronizing becomes really difficult. Um, so I chose to keep it, yeah, just a single frequency, uh, nice low in the 2.4 gig band. Um, and then ELRS hops all around up higher. So it's pretty much, uh, it doesn't seem to have any impact on flying. You can run 2.4 ELRS uh, alongside Formation Flight. And it runs just fine. Awesome. So yeah, maybe one packet in 20 might be colliding, but... Yeah, exactly. It, it kind of doesn't matter. Is, is the... Because uh, you were saying it's, it can do six pilots... Mm-hmm. Is is that a limitation of ELRS, or is that just a limitation of, of formation flight? I'm just wondering, is there a case where if you had six pilots all using formation flight and all using ELRS, is that going to cause a problem? It's going to be slightly worse, but uh, my experience with, with running 2.4 systems next to each other, modern 2.4 systems, LoRa-based ones, they work just surprisingly well altogether. I think, yeah, if you had six people who are all using ELRS 2.4 control and all using Formation Flight 2.4 um, and all using pretty high power and blah, 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 it's, you're probably going to see some low LQs, 60s, 70s, but that's still super flyable with the LRS, right? Um, one thing you can do is if you're staying pretty close, use some of the faster, um, faster options like the F500 uh, uh, option to express LRS. That uses less airtime, which would give more folks the ability to to stay up and running. But broadly, yeah, it it, it just works surprisingly well. Um, as to yes, is is six a limitation? It is a soft limitation in the sense that I had a couple of variables to balance, and that was the exact set of variables I chose. Um, that is to say, to achieve ten hertz, uh, it updates ten times a second, right um, across. 433, 868, 915, and 2.4, and ESP now, which all have slightly different transmit times, at the ranges that I wanted to accomplish with the number of people in the air that I wanted to accomplish, the particular set of parameters I chose balances out with, yeah, essentially uh, six people in the air, 10 updates per second, and that's that's the spot that works, right? Absolutely, and it, and it makes sense, you know, what 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 we have experienced with FPV, six is a good number to have in yeah. the air. Um, I think past six, you're you're starting to run into VTX channel issues, and at that point, if if anybody does really want to run this with eight people, ten people, let me know. Um, there there are ways we could configure this to work with eight or ten. You're just going to sacrifice update rate or range. Um, but I figured for for the vast majority of people, I think ten hertz is is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, the the nicest GPSs most of us are running are exactly ten hertz, um, so that's a that's a really nice balance of um, all those parameters. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's, that's good. Yeah, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I think uh, there's a few people who are struggling to get higher rate of GPS updates, but that's really for that kind of beta flight, like super aggressive return to home, like. <laughs> let's not return to home like Archipilot. Let's return to home like a racing quad. Like, you know, 
I'm going to just <laughs> rip and do like just an invert, you split us back over the pilot's head. And then <laughs> down. Yeah. Need nice fast GPS that, but I think the the top units are getting to like 18 Hertz, 25 Hertz. So 10 Hertz is still, you know, it's up there. It's good enough for most things. Absolutely. Yeah. I will say the, the tracking feels super tight um, because it does update 10 times per second. When you're following somebody that, that position arrow is pretty much dead on them. Um, depending on aircraft, there is a sort of open problem I'm still working through, which is effectively pipeline delay um, from GPS through flight controller into formation flight, formation flight, flight controller, OSD. Um, in some cases, I've found that to be you know, maybe 10, 25 milliseconds. Some weird combinations for some reason that feels more like 200, 300 milliseconds. So what that means is the position that it's tracking might be slightly uh, behind the person that you're actually following. Uh, I have some ideas on how to solve that. The original INAV radar did some uh, effectively uh, projection using ground speed saying, hey, where will you be in a second? Um, for the time being, it's probably not necessary, but it, it might be nice to, uh, to do that. Um, I think the vast majority of folks won't notice it unless you're... Uh, you're doing some real close formation chases. And at that point, I think you know where the person is, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's really, I imagine, useful in those kind of setups where you're, okay, we've all taken off. Where did everyone go? <laughs> Before you've exactly. got people in visual. Yeah, exactly, the, yeah. The, the only time is if someone's really on your tail, <laughs> maybe it could be nice to know they're right behind you. I will so, also say that, yeah, that, that brings up a really good point, Frank. The... Um, a place where I've found it extremely useful is when somebody's following me very closely or say staying right off my you know port side flank um, and I need to know how to fly in such a way that I'm not going to get into their flight path um, I no longer have to ask them hey where are you are you off my right wing are you off my tail right and try and get the synchronization I can look at my OSD mm -hmm. element and say cool they're off my right side I'll make a left turn coming up they're like ooh 10 meters off my right side ooh okay <laughs> yeah it's it's uh when you start getting down into the single digit and you can see the decimal place 9.7 <laughs> meters 8.5 meters okay yeah right, we're getting close that's enough yeah, yeah. so you, you've done a heck of a lot with this so far there's a there's a lot of features that have kind of come out of left field that people weren't expecting which is fantastic but where do you take it next where do you see the project going it's a wonderful question um my hope is to sort of get it um easier to use. We've talked about a couple of things that I'd, I'd like to do. Um, one of the main things that's in the pipeline right now, and thank you very much to the folks who have been developing on this. Um, let me see if I can find the information I'm looking for. Yeah, so uh, M. Mosky you might see in the chat has been tremendously helpful with a couple of things on information flight. Thank you so much. Um, something he's been kind of carrying to the finish line that I, I, uh, I barely started and then uh, got distracted into other things with is for people running F411 flight controllers, which only have two available UARTs. You want to use one of those for control, and then you're out of UARTs. Um, formation flight wouldn't necessarily be feasible. And uh, my thought is, hey, what if we do the GPS pass-through? So in this case, GPS gets connected directly to an ESP32 formation mm -hmm. flight radio, which then... Uh, converts the gps messages into msp messages msp gps messages mm -hmm. that way you can use just one uart on your flight controller if you're running say an f411 
um, you can still use formation flight. And this is really nice for those like three, four inch sort of INAV capable um, little long range aircraft, right? Um, the ones that run off two 18650s or something like that, the, you know, um, was it Flywheel Explorer kind of class of aircraft um, that all run F-411s? That's perfect, right? Be able to find each other on those too. Now, the history of MSP-enabled GPS is uh, it's fairly brief, I think it's fair to say. So do you think that there's going to be a bunch of fixing up on the FC firmware side to, to make sure that they're actually going to uh, acknowledge MSP GPS updates correctly? I suppose there's one way to find out. <laughs> it certainly is. Yeah, let's see. Do I do I have any sort of major plans? I've got a uh, I've got a page on the Formation Flight GitHub that uh, says what I want to work on next. Let me see if I can find that. Um, oh, I'd like to do pass through flashing uh, in the same way as uh, Express LRS supports. So, for example, Beta Flight Pass Through I think is what the feature is mainly called. Um, that's something I'd really like to do. And then the other, I suppose, the main thing that I'd like to do is do uh, persistent configuration. Uh, on the actual radio rather than doing it at build time. Right now, a whole bunch of, of settings are done at build time, uh, which is slightly annoying if you want to do them out in the field. And yeah, my hope is to to convert a lot of those to persistent storage. You go in the web UI, tick some boxes, fill in some fields, change it right there, save and reboot, and it comes back up with the new configuration. Nice. Very nice. I'm taking some some lessons that have been learned over in uh, the ExpressLRS project there as well, I see. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm I'm hoping to keep the build system a little bit simpler. Um, I I don't necessarily need to do unified targets or anything like that. But uh, for now, yeah, there's a lot of things I would like to move to dynamic configuration, and that means things like turning on and off radios. Um, there's a like a, a little mode where it uh, will spoof some peers, so that if you're setting it up at home, um, don't have friends to to connect with at that very moment, you can run a command and make sure your flight controller will understand when peers do come up. Mm -hmm. um, all of those things would be nice to get in the web UI. And that's that's sort of what I'm working on is the the making it easier part of things. Um, I don't foresee us having a, a proper configurator. Um, I think that's probably unnecessary for the scale of this project. Just stick to mostly mostly web-based stuff. Certainly the easiest for out in the field, um, which uh, is Jack's preference, Absolutely. you know. Does all his configuration when he gets to the field. <laughs> have Wi-Fi up for that. Perfect. Yeah. Not not having to have like another configurator to keep track of and make sure it's in the right version to mm. update that particular thing that also sounds excellent. All those configurators, I mean, sure, even yeah. people like TBS, they're slowly drifting towards web-based solutions anyway. It's just a yeah. matter of time before everyone coalesces on that. Speaking of uh, Wi-Fi out in the field, being able to connect to uh, your aircraft from your phone and look at that web UI, it's silly. It, it, it has effectively no <laughs> practical purpose. But it was very fun to stick uh, one of my planes in loiter, connect to the ESP's Wi-Fi, um, and look <laughs> at all of its parameters, look at the the speed and everything from from my phone. Um, yeah, Do you think oh, people uh, might put one in their radio in future, so they could have one in their radio that they could always just you know connect to with their phone as instead of needing to synchronize your GPS and wait until it's locked on before you take off, you could just kind of have one that's stuck in your radio and. And you take off and wait for it to get GPS and, and you're away. I suppose sort of the sky's the limit, right? Yeah. Um, I was going to say something about uh, uh, something I had planned and it's gone now. Such is life. Sorry. No, no worries. <laughs> you did mention that it's on your GitHub. So if anyone is looking for the updates on 
up and coming ideas, go over to Formation Flight on GitHub, have a look at Mustard Tiger's work. Absolutely, yeah. Formationflight.org is the is the site that'll uh, help you through just about everything. Uh, and then there's a, a lovely Discord. Again, the link is in this YouTube video's description. Um, I'm Mustard Tiger there. Feel free to to hit me up there, and uh, I'm happy to help you out with with getting it set up, getting it sorted. Um, any features you want to see, feel free to shoot those over in the Discord, and we'll uh, we'll talk them out and see if we can get them get them done. Makes me want to try it out. It's just so hard to fly on my own, let alone finding someone else to fly with me <laughs> at the moment. I am Billy No Mates in my local area. I'm very fortunate to have a couple of, of local folks, a few of whom have uh, have dropped in and said hi. Uh, nice. Yeah, the, again, I don't, I don't know if they want me to, to shout out who they are, but uh, they're they're in there. And yeah, they're, they're tremendous, lovely, lovely folks um, who are willing to put up with my, uh, oh, hey, flash this build right before you leave the house. Um, <laughs> willing to, to do crazy things like uh, stick a version of ArduPilot I built last night at 11 p.m. on their aircraft and go fly it in the morning. Nice. Um, <laughs> it'll go fine, trust me. Uh, it fine. did go fine, but you know. I, I appreciate those, those lovely local folks who have been helping me out with that. Thank you. It's a high level of trust. Absolutely, yeah. Well, and, and not so local if you're running like 433 megahertz of some giant dev board. They could be uh, 50 miles down the road sort of local, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, that's something I suppose is, is worth discussing on range. Um, the original INAV radar chose some lower parameters that uh, were chosen. Um, I think that they... <laughs> may not have been the ones that I would have chosen for that particular use case. Um, by my math, the original INAV radar on 433, for example, if it, everything is working right, should be around 500Ks, which mm. is excessive. Yeah. Hi, um, I, where are you? Oh, oh I'm in Texas. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got, uh, I've got a page on formationflight.org slash info that has rough location estimates, or mm. sorry, rough, uh, rough range estimates, and it includes ESP now, 2.4 gig LoRa, 2.4 gig LoRa with yeah. different antennas. Um, ballpark, yeah, the, the 2.4 gig LoRa, I think, is the sweet spot where just about everywhere you'll be reasonably flying, you can find your friends, um, you won't get you know, dropouts if you go to a weird, weird attitude and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, 433 seems like the proverbial sledgehammer to crack this problem. It's a, it's a whole lot of range. It, it is. On that note, um, completely unrelated formation flight, but I, I have been making some uh, true diversity 433 radios <laughs> oh, yeah. for first best LRS. Wow. Um, it's it's absurd. It's silly. I've got a couple of them on the desk here, and uh, I still need to flight <laughs> test them. But yeah, four thirty three is is uh, dumb with modern day protocols. Um, these have a fifty well, milliwatt max have out, like special legal dispensations. Fly not just beyond visual line of sight, but possibly in a completely different <laughs> legal jurisdiction. Exactly. Yeah. So these <laughs> these ones I have in front of me are only fifty milliwatt max power, and by the math, they should be able to exceed four hundred k's very easily, well. which I don't know what what we fly that could hit that, but uh, I don't know. I feel like so in the UK, at least, just the amount of just noise of other things on 433 probably means that that's going to be the bigger limitation than just the, the penetration, the, the, the broadcast of that signal. Quite um, possibly, yeah. It's, it's real <laughs> silly. The antennas are huge. A lot of folks were using 433 for INAV radar um, 
because the parameters chosen and the the way that they worked even though it should have had super long range it it felt a lot shorter than it should have been essentially is the way i'll say it um so a lot of folks were were suggested to use 433 i would really not recommend that anymore with with formation flight stick with 24 laura or esp now that is that's the way to go that's straight up yeah. double the size for your crossfire antenna to get down to yeah. 433 <laughs> all free free yeah, people who want dipoles this big stuck to yeah. their planes <laughs> how big is your plane not big enough yeah. bigger antenna it's it's better man that's how it works yep yeah for flying information with someone on the other side of the planet yeah Hey, you'll find each other. That's that's the well, goal. Well, I'm just wondering, like, when do you hit an overflow error on your SD elements? That's going to be the problem, isn't it? In testing, it's it's surprisingly good about it. Um, a lot of times, you know, during testing, I'd, I'd initialize the aircraft at like zero zero, and then spoof a peer, you know, where I'm where I'm actually sitting in the PNW, or bring up a real peer in the PNW, and you know, before I added guards to prevent coming up at zero zero, I think it's. 7,000 Ks or 13,000. I forget what the exact number is. Some absurd amount of distance. And uh, RD Pilot did a tremendous job of handling uh, nice. <laughs> displaying that distance. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> well, that builds some faith. That's good. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Mark C, um, who, who uh, was appearing before, I think, a, a Blackie FPV, he was on here before discussing flying via 3G and 4G modems. So that would be a, a perfect accompaniment, I feel, for these ludicrous range handsets. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, run uh, run your 433 megahertz 4G video. There you go. I mean, you might have to be up quite high to avoid the curvature of the earth and stuff, but you're, <laughs> yeah, you're probably in all sorts of trouble already for going that far out of... Uh, he had a neat little app that was doing life. telemetry on the web, I think, didn't he, via uh, 3G and 4G radios. That was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah so oh uh i do actually remember yeah. what i wanted to discuss a few minutes ago yeah um mm -hmm. something else that was sort of in vestigial stages back in the uh inav radar days was connecting one of your modems one of your inav uh, formation flight radio whatever we want to call them beacon nodes that's a good term uh connecting one of your beacon nodes to a ground station and then being mm. able to show everybody's position mm. um i've got that loosely working it, it kind of oh, sort of works uh there's still a lot of stuff to be done but the hope is to be able to uh, feed all of that data into mission planner don't have to be running rd pilot um it spoofs six aircraft um and speaks mavlink over udp nice. so you just connect to the wi-fi of one beacon um and then you can you can sit there on the ground and have everybody on a map that's cool so cool. if someone's taking a break and they're not wearing goggles or whatever they can just sidle over to a laptop and be like i wonder where everybody's at absolutely it's also nice for you know just uh mm. spotting especially on uh, certain types of missions um, you could like overlay your mission planner with adsb data just you know to be extra safe and say hey let's let's not go that direction that altitude um there's some <laughs> there's some cool things you can do once you've got yeah. uh, adsb overlay would be a fantastic use case for that nice mm. yeah yeah and that's already that already exists in mission planner so being able to overlay you know, your formation's uh, position with ADSB with uh, ground maps and all that could be quite nice. Yeah, definitely. I was even thinking about, I mean, it's recently been the, the FPV combat meetup where they were, uh, you know, trying to do the laser tag or there's even like crashing them into each other as well as a form of combat. Um, and so, you know, if you, if you have all of them, at, you can have some nice little kind of war maps of them all flying around crashing into each other that could be quite fun 
that'd be fun. And then they, they disappear once they hit one another. Yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's awesome. a lot of things you could do with that. Just yeah, need so an all green OSD and get back to the kind of Apache gunship uh, look with all your <laughs> like friend or foe recognizing. Yeah. Possible with modern digital uh, digital OSDs. There you yeah, go. Yeah. Change yeah, just look flip like it that. onto another page. I think that's dropping uh, any day now. The red, green, amber, white pages. So look at that one. Yeah, but there's there's absolutely a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity for features. Um, again, if anybody has any cool ideas, anything you want to see out of Formation Flight, feel free to drop into that Discord. Say hi. Um, you know, shoot me a message. And we'll see if we can we can get something implemented. Awesome. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Mustard Tiger. Thank you so much for joining us this evening and telling us about a frankly fascinating project. You've done an incredible amount in what I think is a very short amount of time as well. Obviously, building on prior projects and due credit to INAV Radar and everyone that's come before you, but huge congratulations on building something so impressive and so useful and so attainable to a lot of pilots as well. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, to chat with y'all and uh, hopefully get get some more folks using Formation Flight. It'll be nice to see you out there and uh, see y'all in my OSD. Awesome. Well, yep, we'll be seeing Mustard Tiger on OSD in the near future, I'm sure, blasting out on 433 megahertz across the waves. <laughs> right. You have been joined by Andrew slash Frank. Bye. Everyone's favorite curry kitten. I'm down here now. Bye. And Jack, who's just dropped. Um, thank there you very is. much, Jack. Hello. Good I much. didn't say anything the whole show. So <laughs> it, it, not. It, it was the most intelligent Jack. thing you've ever said. And, and of course, by our fantastic guest, Mustard Tiger. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, Cheers. thank you all for having me. All right. Cheers. Have a good day or evening, wherever you are. Catch you next week. Thank you, Patreons. Thank you, our wonderful Patreons, for enabling us to do this, keeping the website online, paying the editor, and thousand one other useful things that make the show happen and keep the wheels on. Thank you so much. You're awesome. Look at patreon.org, Let's Drone Out, to become a Patreon where you can pay to edit the show, get your name in the credits, etc. .org. <laughs> Is it patreon.com? Ah. Uh. Patreon.com slash let's try, now. That's we the one. try, but we <laughs> And on that note of failure <laughs> and lack of accomplishment, it's another episode of Let's Drone Out in the can. I think Patreon.org some dodgy fishing site is just totally with you too. Hey, as, as long as we're sitting here, I'll shout out formationflight.org. That one is a .org. Telemetry lost.